So I've been intimately involved in people's decisions and also the process of donation. And working with grief is, is a tremendous journey. People would really like to have meaning associated with their deaths. I oftentimes meet with families in the hospital. I meet with families prior. I meet with a lot of the donors. So I've met people who are considering the donation and they want to know, well, how do I do it? And what does it mean for me to do this? And what's going to happen? You're listening to the Beyond the Obituary podcast from Renaissance Funeral Home in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm your season one host, Jason Gilligan. Last season, we brought you stories of people who have passed on, as told by their loved ones, because a life is so much more than a one-page obituary. On this season, we're going to do something a little different. Joe Smolinski, funeral director and vice president of Renaissance, is your host, and we're going to dig deeper into the industry of death, because there are so many questions that most of us are afraid to ask, but we've always been at least a little curious about. So let's get started. Here's your host, from Renaissance Funeral Home, Joe Smolinski. On today's episode, we bring on Gwendolyn Keith. Gwendolyn is the program coordinator of the Anatomical Gifts Program at Duke University School of Medicine in Durham. I wanted to bring Gwendolyn on the show today to help answer some questions about donating your body to science. She helps answer some questions on the role of the funeral home. Can you still have a funeral? Do you have to apply to donate your body? Is there a cost? How long is the body used? And what is the body used for? These are all questions we answer in today's episode. For Gwendolyn, she didn't exactly study to be in anatomical gifts, but she didn't find this profession by accident either. I am a therapeutic coach and counselor. I work with people going through loss transitions and assist people moving on in their life. And so it's not necessarily a a field specifically with body donation that I expected to go into, but my family has a deep background in, in medicine and in education. And a number of my family members have chosen to donate their bodies. And I've assisted with those donations, including grandparents, a sister who went through a bone marrow stem cell transplant that didn't work. So I've been intimately involved in people's decisions and also the process of donation. And working with grief is is a tremendous journey. People would really like to have meaning associated with their deaths as well as in their life. And so for some people, just because they want their body not just to be buried in the ground or they they would like there to be some use of their body that they've left. And a lot of people that we work with have had a significant illness or condition that they'd also like people to learn more about so that other people may be able to benefit from that knowledge. There are other families sometimes that they know that their family member would want something more meaningful to happen, but the family member themselves didn't make the arrangements prior. And so we do work with families who said, you know, my mom always wanted to 
you know, help somebody who was suffering with this. And we just think that this is something she would want to do. We primarily work with people who have actually made that decision themselves, but we also work with families who, somebody who has healthcare power of attorney who says, well, my mother gave me this. She said I could decide what to do. And our family has decided that this is something that she would feel good about. So there are all sorts of reasons. You mentioned that donating their body is benefiting the school and some research and study. Can you explain how it benefits the school? No, absolutely. So in the history of medicine, doctors have needed some way to learn about the human body because there's no other way to learn anatomy that is so in-depth and so intimate. It's hands-on learning. The other thing that students get to learn is how disease presents itself. So otherwise, you can't really see that and read that in a book until you've seen how a cancer does affect the body and affect the organs until you've seen how disease like scleroderma or Parkinson's or other, other diseases, how they affect the body and what that looks like, how that presents, how it develops over time, how it affects different organs. And so this is an opportunity for students to see that just really be able to go into it, where as it would be too invasive <laughs> for for uh, somebody who is alive with that. The other opportunities for learning are to experiment with different techniques of trying to correct a problem. So trying new surgical techniques, trying new orthopedic techniques, trying new different ways to help people have better lives and create less pain, more comfort, more opportunities to correct things that have developed over time or were genetic. So that's a, a big reason. And there is some research that happens, but post-mortem research is a little different. So there, there are all sorts of things that happen that are deep learning for both professionals at the beginning of their careers and also our skilled surgeons and internists and et cetera. We have all, all sorts of levels of courses. Can the donors themselves specify how they want their body to be used? Well, not necessarily, because it is all for education. But what we do try to do is our donors are our silent teachers. And each of our silent teachers have many gifts that they bring in their teaching. So we do try to, to match our teachers with the best courses for them to teach. But it's not necessarily something that can be decided because there are many factors in looking at how one of our donors can teach. What are the restrictions for somebody that does want to be a donor? What are the restrictions as far as maybe age, body size, or any diseases before you say, yes, we will accept you? Yes, and, and that's an excellent question. Even though people have made their intention clear, we do have criteria because our donors do need to be safe in our labs and safe for our students. So one primary criteria is that there are no infectious diseases or no infectious blood diseases that are persistent after death. So uh, things like hepatitis, A, B, or C, uh, which are persistent after death, HIV, right now COVID-19, we look at also things like sepsis, which is blood poisoning, MRSA, staph infections, VRE, 
C. diff, things that can occur towards the end of life or at the end of life that would be dangerous. So we do have to speak with medical professionals to make sure that our donors do not have those, those kind of conditions. Other situations are, for example, we do need, size is an issue. It's like being able to fit in an airplane. We do have very small spaces and we have very small tables. So unfortunately, we do have height restrictions. We look at height weight ratios, but we also look at what specific courses are coming up. So sometimes we have a little bit of leeway in our criteria, but that really depends on if there's an immediate course they would be able to teach. It sounds as if a donor can be refused after they've made the decision. So when they were alive, they wanted to be a donor, but now they've passed away, their conditions have changed, and now they could be refused. That is correct, yes. Unfortunately, and that's, that's always heartbreaking for, for me, and, and I know uh, oh, yeah. family members as well. Yeah, and, and when families come to the funeral home and request that they would like to take part in the anatomical gift program, one of the things we always tell them is have a plan B. Yes. Because we expect that you will be accepted. There's always that chance. Mm-hmm. And instead of having the family stressed out and not knowing what to do, we didn't think of anything else. Well, we've got that in place. And so that's something I think is quite important. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why we ask people to choose a funeral home and choose those things ahead of time, because that is so important. And the services of a funeral home are extremely important in this time, both in holding our donors' bodies while we can make those assessments, as well as having those opportunities for the plan B. And then the other thing is the services you provide in filing the death certificates and supporting the families through all of that and with the obituaries. So yes. Exactly. So the funeral home still plays a role, even for the families that are accepted, that we are there to also transport at the time of death to help with any possibly any services that might take place or if the family um, needed death certificates, like you explained. So in those ways, the funeral home is still um, assisting the donor family for some of the pieces that uh, the program doesn't take care of. And that's an important aspect of this discussion is that just because the family's donating the body to Duke, there still needs to be somebody that is going to at least at the very least transport that body and file the death certificate. But things can actually progress further than that. But at the very least, those two items. Yes, absolutely. And that's such an important, I can't tell you how much uh, that means to families as well to have, have the support of a funeral home to take care of those pieces, especially when they're grieving and do it with such compassion as you do. Yeah. And one of the, Uh, situations that some people may not think about that we might encounter is a death occurring on a holiday or a weekend. And the anatomical gift program may not accept the body until the following day or whenever we can coordinate together. And so that body has to be placed somewhere, preferably now if it's in like a week where it's 90 something degrees, we need to store that body in certain conditions, a cool environment, you know, if the funeral home has a refrigeration, which most do, that would have to be done without a question. Embalming 
is not done by the funeral home. And you can tell a little bit more on that, but you want the body basically stored by the funeral home and then received in the condition at death. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And that is essential cold storage. And yes, our program is not open on weekends and we can't receive at night either. So if a death occurs in the evening or at night or early morning, then there still is that necessity of cold storage. So yes, funeral homes play a very important role in, in that process. Gwendolyn, if the heart on the driver's license, does that have any relation to anatomical donation or is that only for tissue and organ donation? That's a great question and people ask me all the time. So no, that is that does not have anything to do with full body donation. That is primarily the indicator that that person wants to donate tissue or organs. So that's really important. I think you mentioned it earlier and what I tell people when they're trying to make a decision is that to give life to somebody else um, through an organ donation or tissue donation, that's an incredible gift. So I say, you know, you, you need to decide and say, okay, I prioritize this organ donation or tissue donation. This is my first choice because we actually are not able to accept bodies that have made those donations just because for our purposes, the body does need to be intact. But there are times when organ and tissue donation is not viable, and that can be because of age or because of a certain illness or condition that makes the organs not viable. And so I suggest that people say, okay, well, then I would like to make the full body donation my second choice. And so it's important to write that up in your healthcare documents and and your will or however you want to present that to your family and legally make that decision. But um, Yes, that is correct. The heart on your license does not indicate full body donation. And there's also, it's important to look at if you are writing up a document with a healthcare power of attorney so that somebody else can make uh, medical decisions for you uh, when you are unable to make those. Part of that does include disposition of your body once you have passed. And if you do want to leave the option for full body donation. If you are not an organ donor, you do need to make sure that your healthcare power of attorney documents do reflect that and other legal documents do reflect that. Because you can say that you would like to be a body donor, but if your healthcare documents are contrary to that, we can't accept. So in the situation where someone has registered as a donor, and we're going to get into in a few minutes how to become a a donor. But if somebody has pre-registered to be a donor and the survivor, the POA, or the next of kin says, I don't want this to happen, how is that handled? Well, actually, for Duke in, in, in the state of North Carolina, if somebody has signed a donor card, a universal donor card is what they're called. And we have specific donor cards for Duke and other uh, universities have uh, donor cards. With your signature and two witness signatures, that actually is a legal document. If it is signed by you and two impartial witnesses, that is a legal document and that is actually takes priority over, say, if you had some family members 
saying, yes, we want to donate and other families saying, no, we don't. That document actually is the individual's choice and decision. So we go by, if that is in place, um, we will go by that. Now, if there is significant resistance with other family members, it may then also make it so that we can't accept a donation. We highly recommend that families discuss this with their family. Right. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. But that is a legal document. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's considered a disposition. Is that correct? Or Body, yes. Yes. In the, by, by the state of North Carolina. It in, in itself is considered a disposition, just like burial is or cremation. Anatomical donation is another form. And once the um, school is complete with their research and study, is the body cremated or buried afterward? And how so, is that handled? That's a, that's a great question. We actually do cremate. Um, we contract and have our silent teachers are cremated. Is that, that the only option? Well, we have made some special arrangements uh, with some families. We have tried to honor different religious beliefs too. So there, there have been times we have the, the donors have had a burial after. Yes. Okay. But gen primarily because of logistics, it's best often to have it. it we, we do the cremation. And, and, and that's, yeah, that's all I've ever known is with Duke um, or any other anatomical gift programs that cremation, I think every time, 99, probably 100% for us, in my experience, has been cremation afterward. And then the family can have the cremated remains sent to their home or to the funeral home to receive them. And then it's up to the family at that point to, to do what they would like to do. But, yes. um, but it's nice to know that in some, <laughs> some instances that burial might be an option. That, that's really good to know. And then we also, uh, we do, as you said, we do return ashes to the family. We either mail them or they can come pick them up. Or we also have a scatter site at Duke Forest. Is there any tax or financial benefit by donating our body, the donor, to the donor's family? There, there's no, no, there's no financial benefit specifically. It can be lower cost than a full funeral, but um, there is no financial compensation anyway for a body donation. And how soon after the donation is the body used by the school? So if the donor passed away, uh, say in the beginning of July, when might the body be used and what, is it, what does that depend on what type of a schedule or what's your experience? Well, we say between two weeks and two years. So it really depends um, when, when you pass and what, what classes are available for you to teach. We generally don't keep our donors past a year. However, there are times, for example, this year, we may not be having as many courses. <laughs> we definitely have not been having as many courses. So it may be, we may be waiting longer, but two years is the maximum. So that can be, that's something to consider for families if they don't want to have that waiting period. We usually can't accelerate that timeline for people. I understand. And, and does some of that timeline have to do with how many recipients there have been, or donors, I should say, to the school, if there's a shortfall or an abundance at a certain time, is that part of that spectrum of time too? 
that that can definitely play into it um, because we have so much learning going on at Duke. Generally, we it's more about matching the right teachers to the right courses. I see. Can you explain the process once the school is complete with the study of the body? What happens at that point? Is is the family notified or is it then the cremation is scheduled and then the family's notified? How does that work? Generally, I notify families once our cremation is scheduled and I know more when I might be receiving the ashes. And um, does anatomical donation affect funeral services in any way that you know? From my experience, it's simply that with, let's say, cremation, since that's nearly 100% of the time that uh, the school is performing the cremation after the study, that the only way it really is affecting is that if the family chooses to have a memorial service prior to getting those cremated remains, or they can simply wait till after it's received. But it would just be that unknown time frame where we're either waiting or decide not to wait for the cremated remains. But in that sense, that is really the only way it's affecting services on our end. Sure. Well, there's um, several, several ways that's right on your end. We do try to accommodate. There are, on occasion, families do want to have a service with the body at the time of death. Uh, we ask for that. If that's something they want, we have to work very carefully with the funeral home to manage a, a partial embalm. And so that's something that is possible for families. It does need to happen very quickly <laughs> uh, because we do need to receive the body as, as soon as possible. But that is something, if the family is interested in that, then we encourage the funeral homes to call us and I would put you in touch with our specialists. And in terms of services, oftentimes people will have a service without the body. Oftentimes they have a memorial service without the ashes or they wait and some have one close to the time of death and then have another one when the ashes are returned. So there's all sorts of creative ways that can be accomplished with an anatomical donation. And can you explain to people how they can become a donor? What do you suggest? Well, if people are interested in becoming a donor, I recommend they give me a call and I'm happy to talk with people about what that means, what they need to put in place to do it. We can talk about uh, criteria, anything. Um, and I'm happy to speak with family members as well if they have concerns about the, the process. But I think the most important thing, people actually sometimes feel relieved talking about their own deaths. I suspect you, you experience that all the time, just knowing that they're taking care of something for their families as well as for themselves, um, making the arrangements ahead of time and really knowing what they need to do is very helpful. We, I also can send out packets with our donor cards and a process um, of, of what they can expect to be doing and what their family members need to be prepared for, uh, ways that they can prepare. And your organization, Duke, they have a specific website for the anatomical gifts program and your contact information is there if i'm correct yes so, that's so, correct. so uh, the public can find you uh, there we will also list in show notes a way to get in touch with you as well and my last question here before we depart is can survivors of the deceased make the decision to donate their loved one's body after death if 
the deceased was not pre-registered. Yes, that is possible with our program. And what, what that takes is first we have to make sure that we're speaking with next of kin or somebody who legally can make that decision. So if somebody has health care power of attorney, and in those healthcare power of attorney documents, there's nothing that says that the person does not want to make an anatomical donation. As long as that person does have legal right to do that. And we also have to be sure that all family members are on board with that decision. Right. So if it's going to cause major strife in the family, we choose not to accept but um, we do need either the next of kin or somebody with healthcare power of attorney to sign some documents. We also need to speak with other family members to, to make sure that everybody is in accord. And then again, the donor does need to meet our criteria as well. Awesome, Gwendolyn. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you so um, much. <laughs> you, you gave me a lot of great information that I didn't know about with this subject. So very useful. And I know our public will find it useful as well. Again, just thank you for joining us and helping everybody understand more about anatomical donation. Well, and thank you for your service as a funeral director, because that is, it's such an important part of our lives that um, we don't think about all the time. Absolutely until not. We're trying to get oh, more, <laughs> more people interested. I don't not know how to do that. <laughs> you know, people are afraid of their own deaths. Oh, I know. It's, I know. it's so comforting, I'm sure, as you, you know, when people have made decisions um, for themselves and feel more comfortable knowing what, what they can do. So thank you. Very welcome. Thanks, Gwendolyn. That was Gwendolyn Keith, Program Coordinator at the Anatomical Gifts Program at Duke University School of Medicine in Durham. You can find out more about donating your body and the Anatomical Gifts Program by going to MedSchool, that's M-E-D-S-C-H-O-O-L dot Duke dot E-D-U and clicking on Anatomical Gifts Program under the About Us section. We could use your help if you would please subscribe to this show, rate us, review us, or just share this episode on social media. And if there's a topic you want to hear us cover, we'd love to know. Send us an email at podcast at rfhr.com. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about us or our Death Cafe, please go to our website, rfhr.com. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beyond the Obituary.